Hey guys, how you doing? Um, Adam Harrington's episode was one of the first ones we filmed. And so I was still working through some technical difficulties. God bless Adam. But uh, I got the whole audio, so we're good there. But the last 15 minutes of video, Adam drops out. Just FYI, if you're watching this. Otherwise, if you're listening, you're going to hear a lot and learn a lot. All right, guys. Thank you. And welcome. Thanks, man. So we were talking about names, and I just yeah. thought it was um, fascinating that Gabe Greer was on here yesterday, and he goes by William Gabriel Greer or Gabe Greer, and my friend Jessica was on, and she at one point was Jessica Blythe to whitewash her name. So everybody's mm -hmm. got a bit of a na name history, so thank you yeah. for sharing. Have you ever gone by AJ? No, I, when I was a baby, my dad called me AJ, but it just never, and no one I know when they're looking at me, they're like, yeah, you're not an AJ. You just, you I just agree. Look. Cause I, I thought AJ Harrington would that be sort of cool, but, but everyone's like, yeah, no, you're not an AJ. Um, yeah, you, you know, got, it's fun. Har Harrington's great for you. <sighs> That's heavy, man. That's a lot of block letters. Um, <laughs> I remember it took the longest time. Speaking of names, it took the longest time for me to figure out how to do an autograph correctly, because mm. Adam J. Harrington—that's a lot of—that's a lot of swirls. And I'm a lefty, right? So you're <laughs> you're pushing, you're always pushing the sharpie through the ink and on your hand. And I, I I've only ever gone oh. to one. I've only ever gone to one. Um, I don't know what you call them. Uh, it was for Supernatural, a convention, and it was in England. And I I was so naive that I didn't realize that when you're sitting down doing the signings, the autograph signings that you're making money yeah, yeah. like for every autograph. And I didn't, I had no idea. I thought you got played your flat fee. I, I didn't know anything mm -hmm. about conventions. I didn't, I didn't ask any questions and I should have. So there's this lineup and me being, you know, the nice Canadian, I'm just trying to get through people so that they can all get their autograph. Cause I thought that it was <laughs> included in the price. And it was, I realize oh now looking God. back, it was so embarrassing, but people were posting my autograph on Twitter afterwards. I'm going right in the face right now with the comment of, I paid $10 for this. And it was this chicken scratch. And I was so, I felt so bad. I'm, I'm, I'm tweeting, pe tweeting people back. Oh my God, I can send you another one. No, no, no. It's okay. We were just kind of making fun and. But I learned a valuable lesson that that um, circles and arcs and flowy stuff, even if it looks like gibberish, because some people do signatures where it's just a bunch of circles. It is more aesthetically pleasing than straight lines and angles. It just looks more relaxed and it's more open than than something that literally looks like chicken scratch. So I had to do I had to learn how to how to figure out how to make that Harrington work in an autograph because I. God, I felt so. I, I felt so bad. Oh, I was. Well, I was never. Needless to say, there was. I think there was many reasons, but I was never invited back. Like, <laughs> I, I slept in one morning, and I was being like, I was a monk. I wasn't going out. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't doing anything. And of course, it was in England, and the time change just killed me. The jet lag, and I slept in, and oh yeah, it was a hole. Yeah, oh never, my god! Never and got it. You're so professional and dialed in, so I imagine that was pretty stressful for you. Yeah, and it was just it was I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. They were all they're all very gracious, but yeah. Um but so for, when you uh, work super say, but, Yeah. Yeah. 
I was just going to say. I was going to ask about Supernatural just really quick. Yeah. You finish yours. I was just going to say it's it's interesting with the name thing. I think more people these days have variations of their own names versus Hollywood when it, you know, first came to be where nobody had their real name. Mm. Everybody got whitewashed. Mm -hmm. Everybody had a, a fake name that would sound like a star's name. And I think totally. it's wonderful that we're it's totally. wonderful that we're getting away from it. Yeah, still maybe whitewashing is the wrong term. No, yeah, I think you're. You no, I think back. Like, no, yeah. back then there was a there was a lot of whitewashing. Everybody's names got whitewashed into this kind of very mm-hmm. neutral sounding, or or maybe not neutral, but but slightly irish scottish white white yeah, easy to remember yeah, easy to remember yeah, totally. short not jewish yeah, at that yeah. time yeah 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 what were you gonna ask so you did supernatural i did did for you a hot second my buddy my buddy mark pellegrino was on that oh did you yeah happen to work together at the same time uh, no, but I met Mark at the convention. He was very cool. He had, he was so smooth. He had, he knew it inside and out. It was like watching a magician at work. He was just so good at, at working with people. And yeah. yeah, but no, I never worked with him personally. I was in for a, they, they brought me in as a, as a new villain. And then I think quickly realized, or it was only, it was just supposed to be a little bit of a space. It was just supposed to be to bridge a gap. So I think I came in and did two vill- mm. two episodes. Came in was villainous and they killed me. Yeah. Hey, but you were on Supernatural, one of the but longest I was on running shows yeah. ever. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. But uh, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, or I am. Okay. Um, I like All to right. start at the beginning. So you're from Canada. I am from the Canada. Can you tell me a little bit? Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that and no, how talk. you found your way <laughs> to film and acting? <laughs> yeah. Everything north of the border is just a mystery. We don't talk about it. We don't want to, We don't yeah. want anyone to know about yeah, yeah, how much yeah. nat- We don't want anyone to know how much water we have in natural resources. Uh, so I was uh, <laughs> I was born in Canada near Toronto about an hour west of there in a, in a little town. Well, not a little town, but it was a steel town, which is the, if you watch the series, the mayor of Kingstown, the exterior mm-hmm. shots that they use as the prison town and the, the blue collarness and the, 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 yeah. um, the steel factories, that was the town I was born in. So very, very blue collar. No shit. The actual, yeah. Oh yeah, I was wow. watching the opening credits and I'm like, wait a second, I there's a there's a high level bridge they show, and I actually worked on a survey crew in the muck digging the laying out surveying <laughs> wow. the footings for one of the one of the sections of that thing, and we had to actually get typhoid. We had to get inoculated against two things because it was so point the the ground was so contaminated. But so I recognized oh. that and I'm like, that looks like Stelco and DeFasco. And I looked it up and it was like, yeah, all the, the exteriors are, are that T- Hamilton, Hamilton, Ontario. So anyway, I, was I know born Brampton, there. you know, Brampton. So I was born there, grew up in that area. Great, great area at the time. I was on a, my parents' house was on a dead end street and there was all marshland around there. And I was just an outdoors junkie. So I was just out there all the time with the frogs and the tadpoles and birds and um, and that whole area of the country is all produce farming. So for me, it was normal mm. that in your, you know, I thought everybody had a John Deere dealership 
in their town <laughs> and international harvester and all that stuff. Yeah. So grew up there, really got into, you know, the outdoors. And then when it came time for school after high school, my parents were very insistent that you have an education that can get you a job, like a, a real job. Acting mm-hmm. was a, just a, mm-hmm. acting was a, was television and entertainment tonight, but there was nothing, there was no access to it. So, um, mm. I got into scuba diving when I was 16. You were interested at this point? Oh, looking back, I was interested right out of the gate. Like, I, I, you know, I would be, I would be watching all the entertainment programs. I would be using, I had a, my grandfather's eight track reel to reel. And I would be taping John Williams and the Boston Pops off the television so I could listen to it. Wow. Like all that stuff. I remember Raiders of the Lost Ark blew my mind. You know, West Side Story blew my mind, but it just wasn't. And I did one play in high school. And of course, my grades tanked when I did the play. So I I wasn't allowed to do another play. And in that part, in that time, there was there was no real schools to go to. There was some schools, but nothing really, nothing like New York or or London. Like I look back even now at that age and I was like, that was the fantasy. But I also love the outdoors. I love being around the water. I love scuba diving. And there was a really good college nearby that had a marine biology program, even though it was landlocked. So I went through school for marine biology and then did a master's degree in cell membrane physiology and then worked in my field a bit. I was running diving programs for the undergraduates. I was health and safety diving officer for the zoology department and you kind of get on that path yeah you kind of get on that path and that's the world you know and that's the world you're in and so anyway this all does make sense so that took me out west because i got a job as curator of an aquarium off the coast of vancouver on an island so that took me out west wow and that yeah and then i did that how old were you at this point I was 27, 28. I think it was 27. Wow. Um, That's rad. Or 25, 25, 26, something in that range. So Mm -hmm. it was a four-month contract to improve all the health and safety conditions at this little aquarium and dealing with school kids and programs. But it was the first job I'd worked out of the university environment where it was private sector, and I saw the reality of – I think two things happened. One is I got out of that university bubble. Mm-hmm. And two, I saw the practicality of what being a marine biologist was like in the real world. And mm-hmm. my sister, who's a very famous scientist and works in cancer research and aging, um, she had done her PhD and gone that route. So I saw what that looked like. And I didn't, I didn't want to do that. I didn't have the brain for that. So... I was working on this island. My contract finished up, and I thought, it's, it's now or never. If there's anything I've wanted to do, it better be now. Anything else I've wanted to do, because it's, you know, I'm getting, at that point, I thought I'm getting a little long in the tooth to be making changes. Mm-hmm. So I thought the only thing I'd ever wanted to try was acting. And I'd, I'd done some dabbled here and there after I, when I finished my master's, I had a, I went. I was working in a gravel pit for a while and driving into Toronto and taking acting classes, but I wouldn't tell my parents. So I packed up everything. I moved to the city of Vancouver because I knew there was an acting industry there. 
packed up my scuba gear. I'd been diving every day. Got a job at a bar, which was very humbling because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But I thought, ooh, I got a master's degree. I'm so smart. and Got my ass handed to me right away. And started from and started from scratch. Really started from scratch. Yeah, that's so brave of you, man. Yeah, I didn't. It didn't feel brave at the time. It, it really felt yeah, no. like, yeah, I, I felt like I didn't Did have a see? choice. <laughs> well, I uh. either thought I'm going to stay in marine biology and slowly, my soul is slowly going to die. And I'm going to be a very unhappy, I thought, I projected forward and I thought, mm. I'm going to be a really miserable 50-year-old man. Really miserable. Or I can try going this way. So, because I had friends that asked me afterwards, they're all very sweet. Like, you know, I went back to my college and all these like guitar players are like, oh, I wish I'd gone into music, but I didn't. And I wish I'd done that. So it was very supportive. But I didn't, I don't, I don't feel I had a choice. I feel like I could either mm-hmm. have a chance to really live and be happy or follow this path, be safe, but watch my, you know, watch my soul slowly die. That's what it, that's what it really felt like, to be honest. So it was heavy. And there was, there was a bunch of stuff going on at the time. My grandfather passed away and, you know, mm-hmm. he'd worked in a factory his whole life and he got a gold watch that was tarnished in six months. And I thought there's no real there's no job guarantee anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when I was, you know, I was, I could have made more working at Starbucks than I was at the aquarium. Cause it was kind of like a passion project. So all these things were up in the air showing, saying to me, look, it's low risk. Like there's no job guarantee anymore. There's no 25 years in a plant and they'll take care of you and you retire and stuff. Everything was so up in the air. So I, yeah, I did it. I did it. Good for you. I'm so yeah. glad you did. So am I. Thank you. Thank you. And how were your folks support <laughs> in that? Because you were in your mid twenties. I was. I was pushing. I heard you I was, say, "Yeah." I, I, you were hiding it, and I experienced that too. Like in my yeah. early thirties, I was still hiding things from my parents, and I'm like, "I'm a goddamn adult." <laughs> yeah. But you, it's funny how that stuff sticks with you longer than you'd think. Oh yeah. So I'm well, curious you, what your experience was. Uh, like well I, I i wrote them this was pre-internet i wrote mm-hmm. them and said basically i've forsaken eight years of university to, to pursue a career as an actor was the was the gist of the letter or the phone call and i think the response was you can come home <laughs> mm. because they didn't know how to yeah, I think for them, you know, they, they grew up, they lived 20 minutes from where their parents lived and their parents lived 20 minutes mm. from where their parents lived. And it was just, so they were worried, but supportive. And then the first time I came home after that, uh, they just said, you look, you just seem really happy. You just seem really oh, happy with good. what you're doing. And then they, then they jumped right oh, on the bandwagon yeah. and they've been on, they were, they were unbelievable ever since then. They were just worried. and and. Uh, and for them, you know, I, I, it, it's so sweet that they'll then jump on my bandwagon because I did take the chance to do it. And it's funny, you mm-hmm. think, because I hear what you're saying, the old recordings of what they told you was, don't do this, it will fail. But what they're trying to say is, from my life experience... There's such risk there. Right. I'm afraid for you. 
But I think what you hear as a young person, unfortunately, is who you are and what you want to do is wrong. Don't trust your own instincts. You, you, your instincts will betray you and hurt you. Unfortunately, that's how a young person interprets it. So I get what you're saying about turning 30 and being like, I'm a grown man. Why am I doubting myself? Because the way a child sometimes internalizes advice mm-hmm. is, oh my God, I shouldn't even trust what I'm saying because I'm that's right. like, I'm, I'm, I have terrible thoughts. I'm broken. There's something wrong with me mm-hmm. because this action I want to make is going to be terrible. So I can't even trust my own instincts. So uh, yeah. when I, when I, I, when I made the decision, I went through a very long phase where, um, down was up, stop was go, don't was do, mm-hmm. uh, illegal became legal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I've been exploring that subject myself, you know, like yeah. if you really consider it at the earliest age, we're kind of taught that our own impulses aren't correct. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you go to put a fork in the outlet as a kid and you're no. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, and so it begins there. And I don't think people yeah. realize, obviously, there's safety in play there and there's education, but what that yeah. can do for you long term. Yeah. And, and so I'm glad you found a, your way out of it. Yeah. I, th- I think it's also a very fine line because giving a young person whose brain isn't finished developing empowering them to say everything you want to think is great do whatever you want to do uh-huh uh-huh i don't think is also a smart thing to do because you're dealing with brains that aren't done and i mm-hmm. i don't necessarily believe that empowering somebody when they're still figuring things out it's tough especially if you're if you are thinking about art and all that as a career mm-hmm. there is a there's method to the madness saying oh i'm going to keep saying no because if you want it that bad, you you will continue to go after it, and that drive and ambition that you have to have, or this this line of work will destroy you. So if you're sitting there, you know, Timmy at seven years old, and you bang a drum once, but you have no rhythm, and you're like, I want to be a drummer, and you're like, Yay, good Timmy! But they have no rhythm. You know, that's not yeah. particularly helpful either. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, it's but, an interesting quandary for sure. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like no one gets out alive. No. <laughs> that was a childhood thing. No, no one no childhood gets out alive and no one no one gets through parenting alive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're Yeah. I love this exploration because it obviously helps my approach with character and the craft mm-hmm. itself. So it's it's fun to um, explore that. How does so this relate to how does this the, relate? I was going to say, how does this relate to character and craft for you? That's a really, that was a really cool statement. Great question. You know, I write as well. And so what I've started to realize is it gives me um, cleaner access to myself, Mm. more unbridled risk because I feel secure in the knowledge of myself where I'm like, oh, this is the type of person who fill in the blank. And this type of person is that way because fill in the blank. And now I have not only 
Because I learned two ways. Personally, I learned intellectually, but I've noticed intellect is like a sieve. It might not stick in the bucket, but once it's in my body, it's there forever. And I knew, like, back in the day, early days with this, I would, like, intellectualize the history. And I wouldn't, it wouldn't stick. But now that I've sort of really explored this through the lens of my own experience, it's sticking. And so when I actually bring this over to writing or acting, it's present. And it's not just hot talk. Look, I I, I yeah. did what Viola Davis did. And I did 10 pages of, I used to do that when I was 23 and it meant nothing. Yeah. I'm glad I did it. So yeah. I could know that it meant nothing and then explore yeah. further. But that's kind of how it's been showing up for me. Um, it kind of lends me to bring the universal human element to everything I do. And so, yeah. I have a, um, you reminded me, there's a great Stella Adler quote. Because you were talking about intellectualizing stuff, but it not sticking or anything. And she has a quote that says, until a fact passes through your imagination, it is a lie. Oh. Until a fact. I mean, man, she's one of the best educators we have, huh? Yeah. But I, I thought that's another interesting way of saying, I can intellectualize something, but until I actually mm -hmm. take it in, it doesn't stick. And Sean, you're such a you're such a, a talented person. I know you don't lie well in your art. <laughs> that it won't stick. Thank you. It has to feel yeah. like a like a truth or something that you've you've attached mm -hmm. your own access to. Yeah, thank you. And yeah. something that helped me with that, I don't want to call it a problem, but that um thing i was heading this thing i've been heading towards artistically um when i was taking jeff goldblum's class he mentioned um when you're preparing a part it's like almost smoothing out a sidewalk and mm. every time you get a piece you can walk smoothly forward through your the part and ever because he said the deeper you get into that the cracks will stick out more like the inauthentic mm. moments and you'll trip. And I just love that kind mm. of visualization of a part yeah. being like a smooth road or a sidewalk. And the more you bring it to honest integration, the smoother the walk can be, the more you can run, the more you can play. Um, so that's how it occurs to me as well. Like, you know, you've helped me with, so many auditions and you've and then class and we've acted together and you've definitely seen like i can't do inauthentic well mm -mm. and i don't mean i just mean when it, it doesn't resonate to me it's like yeah it's it's apparent yeah. and so yeah i'm happy for that even when it's <laughs> annoying and frustrating yeah. and it is it is a uh, gift humbling, but you, humbling yeah it's a gift but it makes you work harder yeah, everything cuts both ways, you know? Yeah. Um, like, every gift has its other side. Like, every sword is double-edged, I've learned. Nothing's mm. for free. So, I appreciate your answer on that. Um, so, you're in Canada. It sounded in like Canada. picking up context clue. Yeah. Ten years. Yeah. 
10 years acting and then the move. Then the move. So 10 years acting, uh, got a bartending job, realized I'd never taken an acting class, tried to pick up acting classes, doing little short films for the film school that was in town, anything I could do to play catch up, which I think great the way i the way yeah the way i was trained in university was a very practical education you got taught there and it was how do you how do you take a goal and then execute the project and i without realizing it brought that into acting so i just kind of treated it like school started to get some gigs got going and then yeah in 2007 i moved i decided i wanted to i either needed to try and fail in the deep end rather than not try at all so moved to LA in 2007, the writers went on strike, then the economy crashed. So it was a very relaxing, very easy beginning because nothing happened for a couple of years. It was just dead. And then um, I slowly started, I slowly started from there. So I moved out here in 2008. Yeah. Your, your experience was... You moved here and uh, uh, you just said like the three major catastrophes was your awareness like, eh, it doesn't matter. I'm sticking it out. It's par for the course of life. Or was it like, oh, fuck, I got to move back. It was it was um, because I moved here at thirty nine. And I very quickly became aware. And I'd been war- I'd been told in Canada, one of my agents is like, are you crazy? Don't move. You got momentum here, yada, yada, yada. And that didn't interest me. I was like, no, it'll be fine. And I moved here and, and quickly, quickly, quickly was shown in a variety of ways that I was about 15 years late to have a career in a different way. You know, that a lot of people arriving when they're 15, 16, 20. And by the time they've hit their stride, they've got, you know, five, six, seven years of testing for pilots and for the town and producers to become comfortable with who they are and the ability to take a risk. And they've learned all the stuff that arriving at 39 was like, I fell on my face a lot. And then the economy crashed. And what I, what usually happened was, is that you move to LA, but as a Canadian, they just fly you right back to Vancouver or Toronto to work on productions there. Like you audition in LA, but you can work as a local hire. So they bring you back. But because of the economy Mm. crashed, they weren't doing that. They were only using local hires. So I'm now living in Los Angeles, trying to get my green card, realizing I won't be going back to Canada to work, but I'm not, I'm not, I haven't established myself enough here to outcompete guys that were, my age and had a really solid reputation with casting directors. And I think for the first year, a lot of it was kind of like, which a lot of people experience when they move here. I'm not sure if it was yours, but hi, it's very nice to meet you. We'll see here. We'll see if you're here in a year. Like, Mm -hmm. unless you're just walking through the door with that thing, they're like, great, nice to meet you. But I got a line of 10 other guys that I trust. And I've seen a million times that are going to get the job before you do, but we'll see if you get back on the bus and go home or not. And that was kind of my path. That's right. Plus, I made a lot of lot people of don't, mistakes. Mm, people don't people understand don't. that, like that the trust. You use the word trust a few times, and that's exactly what it is. Yeah. The industry, like several people have to trust you to get a part. Like casting has to trust that you're going to be on set and not get starstruck when yeah. it's your time. 
to yeah. perform on a yeah. tight TV schedule. People don't talk about that, but that's exactly what they're looking to do is build. Yeah. And that's just one aspect of it. There's other yeah, aspects I, of like, are you going to even show up on time? Are you going to be yeah. sober? You know, yeah. all these considerations. I, I never even really understood that. You know, I first moved here and everyone's like, I had a lot of shit I had to work through, but you know, people like, just be confident, get confident, act confident. And I, for me, that wasn't my way in because I had no idea what that meant. It just, again, it was like, just lie, just be. And it took me a long time to realize what you were saying, you know, with self tapes, it's different, but you know, the entrance, the audition and the exit are all equally important parts. And I used to think it's because you got to come in, you got to be sexy. Like I used to get, just be sexy, just be sexy. And then exit, be sexy, be sexy. I realized that what they're trying to do is they want to meet you and see what your energy is like coming in the room. Cause they're like, Am, I, I don't know who you are. Do I want you on set all day? Are you going to be crazy? Are yeah. you going to vomit? Are you sober? And then you do the acting <laughs> and then the exit is yeah. the same thing. Like, great. You've just done the acting, but are you the same guy that walked in the door? And I, I think sometimes with people, especially when they're doing character parts, they'll walk through the door, do the audition, and then they, oh, my God, thank God. I'm so glad you liked it. And they just killed it for themselves, mostly because of what you're saying is because suddenly they, they're like, oh, oh, well, you're not, you're not who you were when you read, but now you're somebody completely different and you're acting relieved that you were able to act that. So uh, how do I trust – like, so was – which part of your audition was real and which part was you pulling the bunny out of the hat? Like which part did you have wow, your fingers crossed? That. Yeah. Mm, and it's all I love about that articulation I'm, of that. Yeah. I remember I was, I, I, when I first moved here and I didn't, I didn't realize it, but it was a producer and he said, you want to know how this town works? Nobody wants to get fired. He said, if I hire Steven Spielberg to direct my movie and put Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks in it, I won't get fired. If the movie tanks, it's going to be Spielberg's fault or Tom Cruise's fault or Tom Hanks's fault because they're already established names. But if you walk through the door as a guest star and you're a stranger and I take a chance on you and you fuck up, that's going to reflect on me. He said, so people don't mm -hmm. want to get fired. Mm. And he said, you got to remember that's good that. business advice. Yeah. But it took me forever to, to process it and understand it, but. Yeah, how do you even apply yeah. that, you know? It's funny, I I, was, I've booked yeah. jobs on the after, like the moment after the audition. And I know that because the director told me once, he's like, yeah, your acting's mm. great, like, duh. Right? Like, duh, like you're in the room. We yeah. obviously think you're a good actor. It was yeah. this, the edges around it. Yeah. Like, and the way a, you just handled yourself. At, and it, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, you know, with self tapes that come along, I've heard it from a lot of actors and stuff about they can't book a room anymore. Like they can't, they can't go in and win the room based on their personality and their ability to, you know, get a readjustment that it's not just the acting that off, oftentimes they booked because they came in and their person, their personality, it's like, Oh man, great guy. And, so a great woman and so solid and so professional and I love them. And then, you know, the acting is, you know, it's not rocket science and TV. Most people can at least hit the ball, get you to second base. So, but it was their, it was what they could, the trust that somebody had or the, or the, they're going to be fun to have on set or they made a little joke there and I like their sense of humor. And 
are just their own. They're just relaxed. They're ease with themselves and stuff. You can't, you can't do that with self tapes. Now it's all, you know, we're all being judged based on how did you interpret the script? And if you, if you made a good interpretation, but it's slightly different than somebody else. And we happen to be wanting the other version. Well, Mm-hmm. you know they get it not you because we can't redirect you over zoom i know it's a yeah. it's an interesting phase we're in but yeah. script analysis i'm trusting that <laughs> yeah i'm trusting it's all gonna work out yeah we have to yeah. act now so weird <laughs> not only do we have to act but we got to turn in something that's filmable not just yeah. here's my general idea of the scene but I think the more casting is bringing us in, the more they see, I, I think in a way, I think in a the way there's a positive is that most agents, most managers and casting, because it's so focused on the acting, if you're a good actor, you're getting noticed. Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, I don't have a problem with the, you know, I wasn't auditioning a ton theatrically, but commercially it was all the time, yeah. not the same stakes, so to speak, but. You know, I was definitely in the room a ton, and then I became self-tape, but I loved it. It was fun. It was just different. Just a different thing to overcome there. Yeah, all good. Um, Let's pivot to surfing. Okay. So I I grew up surfing. Where did you grow up surfing? Uh, I had San Diego, Imperial Beach, near the border. Yeah. 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 And um I mean I had surf PE in high school. Like I mean I surf sometimes three times a day. Oh, so for God. over a decade. And I wasn't any professional, but I definitely was a yeah. waterman. Um, oh yeah. Can you do stand on your bones it. are rubber and your just yeah. your skin is thick and you can wipe out yeah. and it doesn't hurt. Yeah. 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 Oh my God, I've been in some hairy situations for sure. But how I mean, I could probably connect the dots on how you got to surfing, but knowing you, I can see how important it is to you, or mm-hmm. at least how much of a priority you make it. So, you, can mm-hmm. you talk about that journey? Yeah. And does it affect or help your craft? Like, do you surf before a big audition or a shoot? You oh, know, does that yeah. enter your mind? Type, yeah. Um, like I said, I've always enjoyed being outdoors. Like even growing up playing video games or watching sports or all that stuff. I couldn't, if I was sitting on a couch playing a video game, I just, I didn't know, I didn't understand why I wasn't outside. If I was watching sports on television, I was just jealous of everybody getting to exercise and participate in the sport. I love live sports, but I watching it on TV. I I just don't understand why I'm sitting on a couch. So I was always outdoorsy where I grew up. It was a lot of, uh, a trip camping, they call it. So you're, it's you in a canoe with my dad and four days into a park and you're just carrying the oh, canoe wow. between, yeah, carrying the canoe from lake to lake and eating boiling bag food. And, but, but the thing that drew me to it was the Whoa. canoeing. Yeah. But the thing that drew me was the water. I, I just always, water was very calming for me, very centering. I think na- I wasn't, I wasn't raised religious, but nature, when I'm out in nature, I imagine that that's what's like for people when they go to church. That mm. when people commune with God in church, that's what I feel like when I'm out in nature, that I feel like I'm a part of something huge and a tiny 
and a tiny thing at the mm-hmm. same time. I feel I feel connected to everything mm-hmm. and tiny at the same time. And there's mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you know and even when I was 18 and stuff, there was a phase when Kelly Slater and all those guys were coming up. Um, there's a great documentary called The Momentum Generation on ah, HBO. So when that was coming up, where I was in my little landlocked town, well, actually in Lake Ontario, we were getting all the OP, all the, you know, the California, mm-hmm. it was the first wave of all the surf stuff. And I was, I was super into it, but there was no surfing. So anyway, fast forward, I moved to California. I'm here. I start going occasionally. Um, but then the pandemic hits and you couldn't do anything. You couldn't go outside. And the first thing that opened up was the beaches on the mm-hmm. May long weekend in 2020. But you couldn't sit on the beach. You had to be doing something athletic. And at that point, I decided to kind of get serious about the surfing. And that's when I really started to go for it a lot. So now I probably go a couple times a week. Um, I, don't have a, I don't have a schedule about when I go before or after auditions. I just recognize when I'm itching to go. But, like, I went this morning, and I'm just surrounded by dolphins. Like, there was just dolphins all around spy hopping and surfing. What time would you get up? 4 a.m.? Uh, uh, no, sometimes 5.30. This morning it was 6. Um, but I kind of oh, took great. my time. Yeah. But uh, no, I just, I, I've, I've always been an adrenaline junkie sports. I've been rock climbing and mountain biking and canoe tripping. And then um, my sister's into it too. We went on two trips up to the Canadian Arctic on these 11 and 17 day wow. canoe trips through the Arctic. So wow. I'm... Yeah. Um, but it's very elemental and I need it and I really enjoy it. But man, the injuries, I cracked my face in in, um, Mm -hmm. Costa Rica. Sorry about that. Cracked my face in Costa Rica. I put 11 stitches in my foot. I, I tore my ribs by a fin or the reef. The foot was a fin. I could feel the board coming down and it cut both feet, but one of them got felt very squishy all of a sudden. And I came out and it was just, it was deep. And then the, yeah. the, the break in the face was the board uh, hit the bottom, came back up and the rail cracked me. So I was just black and blue all the way down here. Um, and it, it yeah. I had a small cut on my face, but it cracked the bone underneath. Um, oh my God. But yeah. Recently? Yeah. Uh, um, last not not this past september the september before holy shit man. yeah i got it was a surf camp and it was the second day of seven days <laughs> so i was i had stitches in my face and they they said don't go surfing for five days so i'm at a surf camp <laughs> where all you're watching is surf videos and everybody's going uh. surfing and i it was a great oh, exercise. In Costa Rica, too. In Costa yeah. Rica. But it was a really good exercise because it kind of taught me that I'm trying to live life by an equation. Like, I've done A and B, so life should give me C. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I had to really deal with that because I was like, I'm here and fuck it, I paid my money. Why am I not saying it should? I get, why did I not? Who hates me? It was. And I just realized it was all bullshit. It had nothing to do with that. There was no, I wasn't getting yeah. punished by God or the universe. Or, yeah. So there was a lot of very slow meditative walking on the beach to and get out you, of that. A lot of people yeah. would have that perspective. Well, I, you're, I didn't either. I was forced into it. But, you know, you're just such yeah. a rage and throwing such a tantrum about, I've, you know, I was 
there was a lot going on and just getting to that camp was the joy and suddenly I'm not getting to do it and, uh, and just kind of letting it all go and realizing that no, I wasn't, they don't owe, nobody owes me. I don't, I'm not owed this. Okay. So I got here, but I'm not owed yeah. anything. And, you know, I was trying to go for, yeah. a, I was trying to go for a wave instead of taking it easy. And I got knocked on my ass. And, you know, mm-hmm. so that's surfing. My therapist told me, said something to me once she said um life's not happening to you it's happening for you Mm. so when things like that happen i'm like maybe my life just got saved like maybe i was supposed to drown Mm. and i just got saved because it kept me out of the water and that's helped alleviate some of the because everything you said about the a plus b like i'm very structural in my approach to acting in and life so I can run up against personal friction when things don't go to yeah. plan. So fuck man, and I that's, a, a, that's a good one. Yeah. I had a, I had a buddy. So I'm talking to him when it happens and I'm like, eh, smack the face. And, and he just paused and he said, wow. Well, he said, Who, whatever you want to call it, you just got a big slap in the face to stop <laughs> and slow down <sighs> and sit in whatever, you know, this was, you were trying to not run from or you know, avoid or whatever. So I did, it was actually five really cool days. And then dude, the last afternoon, it still hits me. Um, and then we can get off this topic, but so the last afternoon, sure. I pulled the stitches out. I, I didn't know my face was cracked at that point. I was still bleeding. I was still spitting up blood, but down there, they didn't realize it, but the cut had healed. Um, it was like the sky was red and then gold yellow above it the to the north of us it was dark purple with lightning bolts running horizontally across the sky which meant that it wasn't going to hit the ground so we were all okay and i go out into the water and it's me and a bunch of these french guys that were like pro surfers and I got right into the rhythm with them and they were giving me waves. Like I, I'm not that, mm. I, I, you know, I've just started surfing seriously two years yeah. ago, you know, at my age. So I'm, I'm kind of, I can get up and stuff, but we're just doing this in this gorgeous sky. And I didn't have my phone with me on the beach. And I thought, I can't take pictures of this. This is just for me. So it's purple with lightning. And then there's this blood red sky with orange sunset above it. And then to the south, this giant dark green cloud comes through, right? And we're just out there just surfing and it's pure bliss. And I'm like, this is just from my memory. I can't take a picture of this. It's not about that. This is just for me. And I just felt so blissfully happy that this was the end of that hellish week. And then this fucking lightning bolt comes out of this green cloud it was just like a tree trunk and just, this is miles to the south, but just nails the ground and we all slowly paddle in. But it was to this day, man, it just, I just couldn't believe it. It was so beautiful. It was just so beautiful. And everybody's got the the water. Yeah. Yeah. I, and sometimes I get amazed. Like, you know, I'm thinking we're on this little blue ball in the middle of nowhere. And we have this, it's, it's liquid air. Like it's this substance that's just so bizarre, but mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's, that's it's me soapboxing. See, see yeah. No, it's great. I mean, yeah. my favorite, and I don't surf consistently and more anymore. And 
you know, 10 years ago, my ego would never let me say this next statement. But mm. I basically have like one of these soft top longboards from Costco. Yeah. And mind you, I had like a three board quiver, like two wetsuits, you know, like I grew up doing it. Yeah. And uh, I take that out every few months in Venice and I have a blast. Just they're fun. Over to my they're so much fun. Surf. It's just a, it's just a pump the wave. That's it. Yeah. That's my favorite yeah. part is when you take off, I'm goofy foot. So when I go left mm. and I see that perfect face that just is, the, the, it just keeps coming. And you're like, yeah. oh, that's not closing out in two seconds. Great. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. my favorite. Because that's the difference between a beach break and a reef. A lot of people don't know. A beach break's yeah. more prone to close out, but it's yeah. um, and faster. less dangerous. Yeah. Yes, because it'll just shelf up. Whereas, like a reef, there's channels, but then there's a fucking reef. Um, <laughs> I, I've surfed pipeline, and uh, yeah, Holy North Shore shit. of was. I surfed Sunset Beach at 17 feet. Like, you know, 17, that's so specific. So it was in that range. But I just remember. Oh my God. That's. That's as close to God in a different way as I've ever been. You know, the inside yeah. bowl of sunset, I'm paddling, and I look to my right, and you hear the rocks being moved by the... I don't know if you're familiar with sunset setup, no. but it's basically a big outside wave about half mile out, and then the inside's this nasty bowl that's almost like Chopu in Tahiti where it breaks mm -hmm. like with the water level of... And yeah. it's, it's famous for just wrecking people. So we avoided that and went out. And um, yeah, I'll never oh, forget man. that trip. What a great, what a great, great yeah. What a yeah. great yeah. time at Disneyland Earth that you were like, oh yeah. So they're like, did you do the, did you do the Pirates of the Caribbean ride? You're like, yeah, I did Sunset. Did you? Yeah. Oh yeah, that yeah. was great. Yeah. 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 Um, if you're ever in New Zealand, they have one of the longest lefts in the world. So, Raglan, uh, take your board. That's I've right. surfed it. That's right. Oh yeah, did you yeah. get it good? I was so wow. crap at that point because I was a summer surfer, but I did rent a board and I did go out and I did surf Raglan. Yeah, which was trippy oh, yeah. because it was it was the day after in the movie Endless Summer. It was the same day they had mm. been there. I think it was the day after Christmas or something like that. Oh. Yeah, and then this the surf camp I went to, one of the guys actually lectures there. One of the two kids from Endless Summer is actually teaches Whoa. shapes boards and does uh, you know, talks and meets people at this surf camp. So it was just kind of really trippy. But yeah, I went when I was in New Zealand, I purposely went to Raglan to surf that. Wow. I love yeah. that. I know. Um yeah, so, well. so we're at we're at an hour. How are yeah, you keep, doing I'm, on time? I'm I'm good on time. I just realize I'm uh, you got me doing motor mouth today, so I'll I'll uh I'll listen more. Dude, this is what we're doing. This right here. Uh -huh. Everything's great. I don't uh -huh. give a shit. Like there's no objective. We're just talking and already yeah. there's enough information here that people um are gonna get something out of it. I wanna okay. pause it to use the restroom real quick. To be honest, this is an excuse to catch up with people too. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say this is this is different than other podcasts I've done because you and I have known each other for so long. So we're just going into a we're just getting into a conversation. Yeah. I haven't seen you in a while. Either. Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah and that's, that's how I want to do these, you know, it's like, yeah. I want to, I, I look, I look forward to this with you, you know, I'm not doing anything that I don't look forward to. That was a big, yeah. um, December was really big for me. I landed a lot more of who I actually am. Mm-hmm. I'm not playing small anymore for people to feel comfortable at all. And I really just asked myself, like, what do I want to spend my days doing? And am I still trying to play their game, which doesn't really exist anymore? And, you know, the answer is... Or or am I trying to anticipate... Or am I trying to anticipate their game without really even knowing what their game is? Yeah. I call it um, trying to hit the target. You Mm. know, I was talking to this young producer. He reached out to me and he was like, I want to do um, this movie. I have this access to investors, um, but I want to do it about this subject. And I'll leave the subject off the table because it's kind of irrelevant. But because you can fill in the blank is my point. And I go, do do you connect to that subject? Because although it's a popular topic in Hollywood, would you say that you personally relate to it? And he was like, very, and I'm not disparaging him. I get it. Yeah. I think this is common. And he's like, no, but like this sells. Mm -hmm. And I just shared with them, like my experiences you then have to go develop, shoot, edit, and distribute the movie on a solid schedule that's two years. In what world has something still been popular two years later? So it's like you're trying to hit a target. It's the same thing with like Netflix's algorithm. Yeah, they might have that today, but then you have to go develop it, write it, you know, and then two yeah. years later at best, it's out. Is it the same demographic? Probably not. And so that's kind of what I've done for myself too. It's like, what do I actually want to do? And is there anybody actually stopping me or am I telling myself stories to keep me safe and scared and beholden? And so that's where I'm at personally. And that's part of what the show's about. It's like, I'm just like, no, I want to do this. And I know people will get something out of it because they've already told me. I tell you, Adam, like I did this podcast last year at the end and 12 or so people reached out to me from all over the world and country. Like, dude, thank you. No one talks about this or shares like this. And I'm just like, okay, not that I'm the bee's knees, but maybe I have something that might help somebody else out there who's struggling. Because what I noticed is... There's like the master class, but you and I know, especially being in this industry, the novice to somebody like Scorsese isn't like five levels. It's like a million levels between them and Scorsese. So to get information from him in a master class setting is kind of yeah. funny to me because I'm like, you can't touch him or Sorkin. In no. You shouldn't try. Like they're not only older; have been doing this for a long time. What were you gonna say? Jump in. I sorry. No, go ahead. I was just repositioning um, myself. Oh yeah, and so 
that's kind of where I'm at. It's just like yeah. when I looked into it, I didn't see a lot of people. Uh, how do I put this? I don't look around and see a lot of peers, like people mm. who are putting out and as committed as me, except the people on this podcast. You know, I, I consider you a peer, a guy who's really dedicated himself to a craft and is pursuant of it as well. Not just working on it in his private time, but risking yourself publicly for it. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's where I'm at. Good. Good. So, Sandy Marshall. Sandy Marshall. Um, you became a student, and then became a student. Yeah. What? Uh, and then either yes. took over or started your own jingle. You want to walk me through that a little bit? Sure. So, so Sandy Marshall. We're talking about a woman named Sandy Marshall, who is a very well-known acting coach here in Los Angeles, and I have been. I'm yeah. curious by nature, and I've always been curious. So I've studied. I've tried everybody's different approach and i kept hearing about this class and that that it involved doing a, a meisner exercise called a repetition exercise where basically you off of the other person you you respond honestly about how they're affecting you that honesty was what clued me that what hooked me into it so i went to the class you know there was there was a lot of people you recognized it was you know a lot of working actors and I just remember I watched it and then ran away for about three months uh, uh, because it terrified me because you had to be honest. And at that point, I had I had studied a lot, but it was a lot of intellectual studying. And I'd done Strasbourg. I did a five years with a, a Strasbourg type thing. And um, but what got me about in LA or Canada? No, in Canada, in Vancouver. It was it was great for what it was, and I'm very sensory and. There's a lot of valuable stuff, but for me, the difference for me between Canada and the States, Canada is much more of a socialistic country and there is a much more, um, we all work together. You know, we're not going to get through the winter if you're angry at your neighbor. I'll help Bob shovel his driveway and he'll help me build the barn in the summertime, you know, or you go to a restaurant and you're like, no, there's no substitutions because if I'm wasting five minutes with you and your substitutions, then everybody doesn't get to eat quickly. It's a little bit like that. But when I came to the States and there was a lot of supporting players, but when I came to the States and this is just individual for me and for anybody that it resonates with, but it's not the only path. It was, it was mine and my upbringing and how I learned things and, and my own degree of, I just want to fit in and be like everyone else. And when I got here, the challenge was, no, I need to see you. I need to see what your honesty is, that, you're, that my acting was a little bit superficial still. So anyway, met her, joined the class, scared the hell out of me because I was going to have to be honest, which I was terrified of being because I thought everyone was going to, suddenly I was back in seventh grade and everybody was going to beat me up on the playground at recess mm. for being honest. So started studying, mm. really got a lot out of that. It was a great environment to, you know, I just had a huge imagination and I was just crazy love playing characters and she just gave me all kinds of freedom to do it. And then um, mm -hmm. she wanted to step away for a little bit. She wasn't sure where she was at and wanted to step away. So I came in and started teaching. Um, and then we did, we did that for a while. Then I started doing my own thing 
and uh, then she kind of moved away from it. So now I'm kind of doing, I'm, I'm doing my own thing and I've been doing it for about five years going into my sixth year. Uh, and that's how you and I met mm-hmm. and that's, that's how right. I ended up working. And that's how I ended up working for you. That's right. That's, that's right. right. Which you, is awesome. You had the best, you had the best audition out of everybody. I mean, not just your well, part. I would I mean, everybody who auditioned, it was, yeah, and that's well, saying something because we had some, yeah. we had but, some motherfuckers yeah. on that in the best way. Some real yeah. forces. Yeah. There was uh, some real powerhouses, had, but yeah, but that's, that was Sandy. Audition. She was, yeah. Sandy was instrumental. I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to work with Rob, Larry Moss, who's incredible for his tutelage. And uh, I work with a Shakespeare guy named uh, Rob Clare, who used to work in, the British system. That's been awesome. And that's kind of my, oh, I need wow. it. Yeah. Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that always that intimidated. Yeah. yeah. That always intimidated me. Cause I never, I don't, I don't understand things well by rote. I have to understand the why of it. So for somebody mm-hmm. just reading me a line of Shakespeare and saying, well, this is what the line means. It doesn't work for me. I have to know. I have to know why the words mean that. Like I, I have to understand the sentence structure of how the sentence structure ends up in that meaning, not just blah, 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 blah. And they're like, you don't have to know that. It just means I love you. And I'm like, but what's, what's the, what are the words actually saying? Why does it mean I love you? Mm. Which is. How fun. It is fun, but it's a, it's a lot of work. It's a yeah. lot of work to try to understand it's, the why of something. Yeah. It's the, yeah. it's but, the detective work around acting is my favorite. Mm, really? Um, oh my god! Yeah, you you yeah. know Mark. So Mark Pellegrino is one of my first teachers ever. And oh, so you know what? I knew him and knew he was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when I was obsessive at Playhouse West in North Hollywood, he was teaching the advanced, or one of the teachers of the advanced, I should say. And the way that school is set up is. There's beginning, intermediate, and advanced. And any level you're at, you can audit the other classes for free of yeah. that level or below. Yeah. Well, as a beginner, yeah. there's nothing below you, right? So it's only beginning classes. But similar to you, I'm a rule breaker and also a hard worker. So I befriended Mark and then started sitting in on his advanced classes. Um, Good. And, uh, yeah, that was quite an experience well i just lost my train of thought what you were talking about uh you were bringing up working with mark pellegrino and and your approach to things and your curiosity i think that's what you were saying uh shakespeare oh that's right and and okay yes so mark's a huge shakespeare guy Mm. as his wife tracy who's incredible as well but he once said something that i'll never forget which is in the pursuit of your detective work for a part, nothing is off the table and nothing is bad because yeah. I, you know, he would, you know, he would, you would see people be like, though, this part has to be this way. And this is how I prepare. And, and I just love that freedom. He was expressing like, no, it's all good. It's all, he called it grist yeah. for the mill. And yeah. I, bet, I bet he'd laugh if he heard that. Cause he said that often, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's it just rang. It just reminded me when you were talking. Like, that's right. And the detective work is my favorite because it might not work for this part, but it might work yeah. for this other part down yeah. the line. And yeah. it's just I super think, fascinating. 
I think one of the things I love about actors is is the 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 desire. I won't say the fearlessness because it can still be terrifying, but the acceptance and the desire to look in the ugly mirror, to look in the mirror and to accept stuff about ourselves that that a lot of people would just happily get through life not looking at because it's it's only by investigating that you are able to play other characters to show the world their humanity you know we all have murderous we all have murderous thoughts we all have terrible human thoughts but humans need to see those stories as well i think you know i used to i used to hate horror i didn't understand horror movies they just they really fuck me up but same it's a very it's a very cathartic experience for some people to go have those dark fantasies acted out in a safe safe mm-hmm. way because we all have those we all yeah. have them yeah yeah i know i have had a similar experience with the horror genre my buddy Jesse Shapiro is like a horror fanatic. And he was like, it's almost the cleanest genre because people pay the price and there's no sugar coat. Like, mm. They die or they get tortured yeah, or they but, get, you oh. know. And he's like, it's yeah. ultimately about fables. And yeah. he's like, it's just a lot cl- clearer line to track. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. never had taken that perspective. But, um, oh, oof, but oh. I totally agree. Not my, like, thank not God. My fables. Pe- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah not Pe- my thank fables. God people are putting <laughs> yeah. it down so they're not yeah. acting them out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I want to move on to some of your work. And okay. I'm going to bounce around a little bit, answer okay. as little or as much as you want. Okay. Um, this is lightning. I feel like the lightning round is coming up. Oh, no, no, no. We can okay. talk as little or as... But, you know, you might have been talked out of some stuff. So uh, just say whatever. Okay. So I want to talk about The Little Things. Mm. Um, That was Jared Leto, Denzel Washington, right? I saw yeah, that. Yeah, and, uh, Rami, and Rami Malek. That's right. Yeah. You know, can I, can I say something even though you're in you the movie? S- yeah, you say uh, whatever you want. Yeah. I thought he was miscast, Rami Malik. Even though he's an incredible actor, if I recall, he he's not the innocent he doesn't have the instant innocent look that that part required yeah. for me. And that was if I I mean like yeah. it is so pretentious to be like if I had an issue, but that yeah. stood out to me as a lesson yeah. to take away. Yeah. Um, because sometimes you can't outact bad casting and, um, it's, that was just a good lesson. I, yeah. Yeah. It's, I hear what you're saying about, about the term miscast. I know when I read the script, the script, the script version I read anyway, the approach they were taking is that yeah. that character was very much the innocent. And he was getting dragged down into Denzel Washington's world and the ego of what right. Denzel Washington's world and this character developing an ego when they're very, very naive and they're very law abiding and loving. And they, they, they're such a do gooder and want to do things right. And by the book that you, that they're getting blindsided and you don't realize that 
Denzel's darkness and torture and stuff mm-hmm. is corrupting this guy and giving him false confidence and all that stuff. That's how the script read. But I, I realized that when, when I, for me anyway, when I look at somebody and say some, somebody was miscast, I'm like, well, there's a lot of decisions being made before that person walks on set. So if they have mm-hmm. been miscast or it's the story has changed, there's been a lot of choices to make that change. It's not just on the actor. It's not, oh, well, you, you oh, couldn't yeah. pull it I off. Oh, yeah, I thought he did a miscast. great job. It's, it's oh, yeah. well, they've changed, the, they've changed the story. They wanted to go a different way with it, and this is how it all, this is how it all mm. played out. But I was just, I mean, yeah. I was just happy to be there, man. I was just happy to work with the director, and I, and I really went into that. The, 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 the weirdest thing was that I got there on set, and it was just going to be me, and it was going to be that long monologue, and it was going to be a tracking shot on a, where the camera just went across. So there's no ability to cut. Like Once they go to action, mm-hmm. you have to do the whole thing because it's all basically a one and everybody's staring at you. Like you just walked on set, you've been introduced to people, and then they're all just staring at you. And for sorry about that, for people watching, like mm-hmm. it takes time to set things up and light things. So you're just standing there, and everybody is just staring at you. And it was one of those moments where I where I just thought I had to, and I worked on it ahead of time. I, I thought I just have to tweak this. So they're all staring at me, right? But I. I flipped it around and I'm like, I just, I'm the one who has to be staring at them. Mm. That, that, and this, my, I, I worked with Larry Moss on it and he said, remember that there was six murders that happened up until that point, I think. And he said, just remember the, the trickle effect of those six murders, the number of people that each one of those murders has affected. And every one of these detectives has that weight on them. It's not just six bodies. It's husbands and wives and children and aunts and uncles and relatives and funerals. And every unsolved murder of those six is a weight on everyone. And you are coming in to say, I'm going to help. So it, it made such a difference that I, and it was, it was, it was, you know, it's a small scene, but I didn't want to mess it up. And, um, yeah, of course, and, of course. but that ha- it helped from the, from the preparation that you're just like, oh God, everybody's going to staring and nobody, nothing's happening until we roll. But instead that weight of these people are all trying to help and they've all been suffering and they're all desperately looking for somebody to say, we're going to come in and take it. And it was so liberating because I just stood there. They could, they could get ready to roll for 10 minutes. And all I kept doing was just looking around at everybody making eye contact instead of trying to hide until they called action. Yeah. And really trying to take everybody in and just feeling like that. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. I love that. Yeah. Love so that it. was. Thanks I, for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. So that was a lot of. And, and you know, the other thing I learned on that that I would share is that, you know, the director was fantastic and I talked to him a bit. But, but in those types of things, you're getting hired because of what you've done already. Mm. You're getting hired because of what you did in the audition. And when you walk on set, you're being asked to come in. They don't have to worry about you and you're going to do your thing. You're, you're not having to walk on set to then have a conversation with a director to prove your worth. Or, or hey, so I was going to and I was wondering. That's and they're right. like, 
they're, they're very gracious and all that stuff. But I yeah. realized when I walked on, I'm like, no, 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 they're hiring me to do this thing. But it was so much fun. It was yeah. everybody, everybody's, everybody's telling the story, you know, the story the, the, we pecked a tie to tell a story. The knot of the tie told mm. a story. Which hand was going to be in my pocket or not be in a pocket told a story to show the difference between these more blue collar detectives and this arrogant or confident FBI person coming in with the new technology at the end and what his body language would be that would be different than the slumped detective standing in the corner and the sharpness and clarity of their dialogue and approach versus the more laid back, laconic, maybe burnt out detective. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, even my role in the movie, there's a bit of hubris to that because we never know if the guy got caught. We never know mm -hmm. if this new approach did solve anything. But but anyway, that so that was my experience on that. And that was, you know. Oh, thank it, you. That's it, amazing. And yeah. I enjoyed the film, to be clear. And Rami's acting is amazing, I think, in general. But again, I got the exact same interpretation that you did. And that's even furthers my point. Like Ethan Hawke in Training Day, you look mm. at him and he's innocent. Yeah. And so R Rami appears too smart instantly to, yeah. to me. This is all me, right? So yeah. that was my, I was like, ah, I needed someone a little more obviously doe-eyed. Yeah, so, but it's, it's tough because you, you have to be doe-eyed and yet the top of your class. Mm. like yeah that's you true you have to be You're you have right, to be super he's fucking, smart but he's the man yeah 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 i really enjoyed i loved i'd love detective films that mm. uh man so that was and i you know i love that whole cast so it was absolutely yeah. amazing to see you in that and uh, uh you definitely i felt, deserved, the, I felt the same way yeah. yeah you deserved every second of screen oh, time thanks, you man. got because you're thanks, fucking man. awesome I so that's the little things. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit about, you did several episodes of Bosch. Yeah. Um, was that like you got hired for one, they gave you more or how, uh, tell me a little bit about that process. Cause I love uh, that the, show too. Yeah. I think I'd gone on in it a couple of times in previous seasons. Uh, that was, we knew it was going to be a recurring. We knew it was going to be an FBI guy. I went in, I did it. I think I felt I was, I was sick at the time, which was great because it was just, everything was like, I got nothing. So I'm just going to like connect and it felt good, yeah. but I was auditioning for two different parts. So the, Oh, I know what happened. I went and I read, they, they brought me back and they had me read for another role that turned out to be the cop that was the killer mm. or the dirty cop or something. I was I was the FBI cocky, you know, asshole cop. And then there was another cop that was a fuck up. Um, and I didn't know which one. And then I found out I wanted the one I got. And I found out I got that. And that was. Dude, dude the environment of that show was amazing. And then I'll, then I'll stop talking about it. Uh, Lance Hendrick that I got yeah, to work with a lot. I love I, it. I Please. totally, I, I, I shouldn't have done it, but I totally fanboyed on him the first day because the John Wick films and all that stuff. Titus was, had a, ran a great set, really nice, very encouraging, really warm. But, but this was my takeaway from the show. Extraordinary experience. What I love that they did is 
whenever they needed background as cops or SWAT teams or anything like that, I love that they did this. They hired off-duty cops and SWAT team guys. Wow. One for their benefit, they wanted it to look authentic. But the other reason why they did it is to help these guys supplement their income because all the law enforcement, they're putting their own money into their gear because the boots that the government pays for and that the state pays for, a lot of the gear that they just have to supply on their own or they'll supply isn't very good gear. So cops are paying for their own boots and this and that and the other thing. So there was all these amazing young guys there with families and stuff like that. And on their off hours, they would come work on Bosch and get an extra little bit of income. And I love that. Nothing against background performers that are making their living sure, doing sure. this. But I was just, I, I just thought that was such a, oh, I, I, I just, that. I just thought that was such a classy, awesome thing. And they were, I loved meeting all of them. One of them gave me a little SWAT patch that I have to this day when we finished oh. working together. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. You know, it, it is funny. It occurred to me. I've brought it. Uh, it's so weird. I, you know, you you don't think about somebody forever, but small world connection. If you ever saw the show Lost, I don't know if you're familiar, but they had two massive characters on the show, and Titus was one, and Mark Pellegrino was the other. Oh no! They shit. Were, small world on-screen yeah. adversaries for two seasons See, but it's just it's funny small to me. World, like, Sean. it's yeah. several degrees of separation we're all connected so, we're all connected was it was it one season or three seasons how did it was like how it does was, that go it was one i knew i was going to be there for one season and it was um and then there nine were very, episodes very, right i think it was, i forget i think it was six but then on IMDb, oftentimes they'll count when you were in the previously on, but it was mm. just supposed to be that season. And then it, it was very nice and it felt very good for my actor ego and stuff that in the final season, they brought me back and I got to do a couple episodes finishing out kind of a long term story with Lance's character. And I think the final episode I got to do, I have never dropped the F bomb so many times in my life. I had one <laughs> speech where I'm screaming into a phone and it was just F this and F that. And I love that word. It's a great uh, word. Um, yeah. 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 And so you got to work with Lance Reddick and yes. fanboying. So you, you're familiar with the wire, I assume. I was familiar with the wire. I was familiar with the John wick movies. And I just, and he, he's yeah. a super nice, super nice guy. So yeah, I, I uh, realized on the first day. Actor too. Yeah. In retrospect, I would have kept it to myself. But but in that moment, I fanboyed. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it happens to the best. It happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's Bosch. Let's yeah. talk a little bit about this indie video game, God of War. Um, <laughs> I hear it's doing. I mean, I, I hear I, it's slow. It's slowly finding an audience. I hear it's it started to do pretty. Yeah. Yeah. What's. You know, I'm always having to be like, no, God of War, you know. (laughs) Yeah, 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 like, what? Yeah. So I'm playing it now. I must say, I mean, I've been on this type of storytelling personally for a long time. Like, I enjoy it. But the storytelling, I've never mm, preferred the cutscenes. 
mm. to something before such as this. Like I look mm. forward to the cutscenes. I yeah. watch them all. Um, as much or as little as you want to talk about, because you've been in. I, I'm not super dialed in on the God of War history. Yeah. The two. Have the latest just two. been two? Okay. No, I think. And um, I think this is. In the series, I don't quote me, but I believe it's the fourth and the fifth in the series. So oh, there's wow. been three, so it's been three previously. Yeah. Oh, it's been they the guys on like Corey Barlog and the guys at Sony Santa Monica have been working this thing for 15 years or more. This particular wow. series. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So I did you, God of War the, and God of War your, Ragnarok. Which is the uh, the current one, Sorry. the one that's yeah, God of War masterpiece. Yeah, God of War twenty eighteen and God of War Ragnarok is yeah. the ones I've worked on. Yeah. So, tell me about the booking, because like for example, okay. I know my one of my buddy booked Star Trek. He had no idea what he was auditioning for. It was Secret Sides. Was there a similar yeah. vibe to this, or did did you know? Um, you're with a voiceover uh, agency. Yeah. Like, was this run-of-the-mill or was this heightened? You know what I mean? No. I think it was run-of-the-mill for me probably because I don't remember if they were keeping it secret what the game was or not. I just know that I'm not a gamer. So even if they told me what it was, I wouldn't it, – it didn't – I don't yeah. think it dawned on me one way or the other because I wouldn't have known what the hell I was auditioning for anyway. Yeah. But I knew I was auditioning for a, a weapons maker who was a germaphobe. And it was a dwarf who was going to be tiny. Um, and I knew that when I went in and read, it was at Sony Santa Monica Studios in this just gigantic room. I don't. It wasn't even a volume room. I think it was just a big, huge, empty room at that point. Um, and they had all these props there and they just said, go and do the dialogue while you're making stuff. So I was kind of doing that. But, the, but the, what I got told was you booked the part when in the middle of my audition, there was a group of executives from Sony Japan, I believe, uh, getting a tour. And in the corner, way in the corner, they came through the door in the middle of my audition on the other side of this gigantic room, because we're kind of sitting there in the middle of a big empty in our little thing. And they walked in and they're just standing there staring. And I think somebody has a camera and they said, you booked the part because you incorporated it into the audition. So I kind of looked over and my character's supposed to be a bit paranoid and germophobia and nervous about anything. And I just remember like getting uncomfortable that they were there that, and kind of shying away like maybe the wind was blowing and there might be germs on them. And then I kept looking back at the producers and then – and I think I remember just being like, oh, all right, okay, well – and kind of continuing on, but now throwing the dialogue to my weapons to see if they were still there or not. And they said, that's when we realized it was really interesting because they said, I, I wasn't changing anything. I wasn't doing anything yeah. different than I was, I'd prepared to do. But they said, for us, you booked it because the very fact that you incorporated them the way you did and it was funny and stuck with the character, let us know that you knew who the character was. Mm. Now I'm I sure that's not the that. only reason. Yeah. yeah. Now I think all the all the been... others had to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Now Maybe I'm sure they'll. They you know, I'm sure they were enjoying what I was doing, and you know, I'd done my homework, and they happened to 
think the way I was doing it was in line with what they wanted, but they said, yeah, it clenched the deal when you, when you suddenly made it really funny that these, the, the tour <laughs> interrupted, interrupted your audition right in the middle of it. And you, you know, you went with it instead of it throwing you off and being like, yeah. Oh, I don't know what to do now. Yeah. 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 You know, so that was booking God of War. My buddy, um, he's in modern warfare or call of duty. One of mm. these other big games. Huge. And yeah. he's a gun. He's ironically the gunsmith and that, and, um, you know, I was talking to him about it and he's like, Sean, you know what the producers told me that most actors show up unprepared, like, uh, they're, they're like, they still have the sides and they don't take yeah. it serious. And he's like, I'm sure yeah. I booked this because I showed up mm. like it was a series regular yeah. spot. And I assume yeah. you did as well. Like you didn't take oh, it yeah. as a slouch. No. Yeah. And, and a lot of it is understanding you know, when people are auditioning and all that stuff, you really have to understand what you're going in for. Like, you know, if you're going in on comedy or drama and what the director, what the tone of it is and all that, because they, they expect you to know that stuff. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you can't go in for Grey's Anatomy and, and treat it like it's, I don't know, treat it like it's Breaking Bad or something. There's a tone to this. Mm -hmm. And with video games, yeah. historically, they don't use actors. They would use they would have voiceover people and then physical actors that would do the physicality. So their history in that world isn't the um, the peculiarities of actors. Mm. So I knew going into it that you know not being off book doesn't compute in their heads. They don't. Mm. Their history isn't well. They're just giving me the flavor and they'll get it eventually. They're like, no, they need to see it because that's the work level they're used to. At least that was my approach. So no, when I went in, I was, I was off book and all that stuff because I thought they're, they're not going to, that's, they need to see a finished product. And there's also mm. no time. There's no rehearsal in this world or anything. And they're yeah. not used to actors and, oh, you know, they're doing, okay, you're going to do the, you're going to do the voiceover work and you're going to do the physical work. That's what they were hiring. They're not saying, you know, you're going to come in and give yeah. us all of your emotions and all that stuff. Yeah. It's fascinating too, because you're a tall, handsome man and Sindri's like a thin, sickly, almost dwarf yeah. with a yeah. lighter voice. And I mean, you play him beautifully. Yeah. I was showing Thanks. Jordan wisely you uh, the other day, he was over at the house and I was like, dude, that's Adam Harrington. And he's like, no way. So I'm like, listen. And yeah. he's like, oh my God, you know? So it's really yeah. amazing. Well, man. it's real. Is it fun to do the physicality with the, with the rest well, of the actors? First, I, 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 first of all, I know you're just into the game, but I will say just, just fucking wait. Just wait. Yeah. Just I wait. just got to the yeah. part without spoiling too much where you talk, you tell Atreus about your, brother's three-quarter souls yes yes and i yeah, was his like soul bits. Ooh. i was like Ooh, yeah. something just, something's coming just, from that yeah. Ra ragnarok is coming ragnarok is coming but to your point <laughs> i think it's been between the first game and the second one it's been such an incredible experience because who you think sindri is in the first game and only that and the way i had prepped that that never got seen and then the story arc for Ragnarok, I have never 
ever been able to play such a massive arc in a character that I would never ever get cast at and cast for in real life mm. to play what appears to be a germophobic comedian, just wonderful and giving dwarf with the difference in the posture and the voice and everything to be able to work on all of that. And then as you will see a character arc where I won't give everything away, but it just, it, 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 it was such a pleasure to, to have such a great character journey that I got to work in everything, physicality, voice, emotional context, all of it, and to uh, the gamut of emotions. I would never, never say never, but I've never been given that opportunity for real life casting. And the fact that, you know, this six foot two surfer dude guy gets to play this diminutive dwarf artisan weapons maker and go through this art was amazing. And, and I got to bring in everything I've ever learned. I got to bring in the wow. shit because it's a very Shakespearean character. He's the 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 fool or the idiot, the fool, or the clown, and the roles that they play. And but it shifts, and it was just it was. A, I'm I'm so grateful for the experience because I I just have never had one like it. I don't know that I will again. And it was I, it was so nice to just. There's more. There might there might be more to come. Who knows? But to have that full an arc and to explore a whole bunch of stuff was just. I will I will treasure this experience till the day I die. And the the team mm. that on these games, the the animators, the animators that worked on Sindri, the specificity that they were to translate the dots on my face and make sure that all the emotions get conveyed and and the the theme that Bear McCreary came up for me and Brock and the variations on that that was able to tell Sindri's story emotionally like it just it was it was so it was just so amazing and such a wonderful feeling to to be able to collaborate with these incredible people on this i i really can't say enough about it because it really did blow my mind coming from a world where i had absolutely no idea about the gaming world and the community and what it did and you know it was video games and i don't, i can't sit on a couch yeah. that long but it was yeah. it was amazing it's it's a beautiful story it's a i i, I do think whether it gets game of the year awards more, all that stuff, it is an incredible story. It's an absolutely incredible story. And I love the themes in it. So that's I mean, me. In some ways, that's me. thank you for sharing in some ways. Yeah. It's one of the most incredible stories ever told. I, I mean, I'm biased. Breadth but of subject. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm what being it, objective. <laughs> yeah. It's the, what like, it, it's so long. Someone just, had to write wait. that. Yeah, but just wait. The themes it the themes it talks about, apart from being a video game, but just in life, the themes it talks about and all that stuff and, and the fun of it and you know. You yeah. Know, it's funny, my, my buddy he's played them all. And he was telling me, you know, without judgment, he's like, dude, like God of War has evolved, like matured. Yeah. He's like, when yeah. it first started, it was kind of bro y. Like, you know, it was mm-hmm. a little Pig, piggish you know yeah. it's like you could literally like have have sex with you know he's like there is that yeah. time in video game that's not just to god of war that's many popular games yeah but like the themes i can tell there's environmentalism there's deep yeah. themes that are just and it's not preachy it's beautiful yeah. and 
I think yeah. that's an artistic gift to be able to write something that's important, but I don't feel like I'm being preached to. And so yeah. full yeah. kudos to you and the team there. I know it was, yeah, a lot it was of an amazing, work. I can't even imagine hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that gave, you know, works very hard for a long time on that. And they're, they're all extraordinary. I was so happy to be a part of that. Love that. So let's um, talk about the stocking fields, which is yeah. what we did together. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, just tell me similarly, like what was your perspective or experience on that? And uh, yeah, we'll start there. Uh, so I auditioned for this movie called the talk, the stocking fields with this guy named Sean, who was doing it, who I'd met and he was, <laughs> I'd seen his acting. He was good. You know, he had chops. Uh, no, um, you brought me in for the role of, you know, top, quote unquote top. Um, mm -hmm. and you liked what I did. And then we went on this wild adventure. I, I, uh, the, the, also from our class is the guy who plays my son, Jake. Um, mm -hmm. Jake Davidson. And, yeah. yeah. Jake Davidson. And it was me and Michael and Jake shared a house in some small town in California. And it just, it was, it felt like going to camp because it was like, it did feel like going to camp. I'm watching Yellowstone now and it reminds me of when they all go out to bring all the cattle and they're sleeping in tents and just going along with everything. That's what it felt like. It felt like a, I felt like a troop, an acting troop, but I, it was, I liked it because I got to explore a character that is from a world that I just never knew. And Rick, the director was so helpful because he'd lived this world with again um movement and body language and the look and i just my funny anecdote from it was i said to you i said how are we going to do these fight scenes because i'm i'm tall and skinny and you're mm -hmm. built like a brick shit house and i think <laughs> yeah. you said no shit. you were you were trying to lose a bit of weight and i was trying to pack on as much as i could so i think i put on 20 pounds when we started mm -hmm. shooting, I was 20 pounds heavier and then I lost it quickly over the <laughs> shoot. Mm -hmm. But I had put on 20 pounds and I think you'd said you'd taken a chunk off just to try to, yeah, you know, make it a little more. Down 25 pounds yeah. or so, yeah. Yeah, and that's, I, I remember that was the, I was like, technically, how are we going to make this? And of course, then the, the choreography we came up with worked, but I, I thought the finished product worked. But I remember that was, I'm like, I am going to look like a stick man trying to throw punches at you <laughs> oh yeah. my god you look great bro i actually you oh, know thanks. people can't tell but i actually i actually elbowed you in the face during that stunt sequence um one of the takes and you took it so in stride you know um i but i, I remember yeah hitting you. i yeah, I don't, I just, I remember I, 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 I screwed up my knee. I, I got bronchitis out of when we were shooting in the rain and the snow. I got bronchitis from that as everybody did. I think I was sick. Everybody was sick, but yeah, um, that was a ton yeah, of fun. I don't I mean, think I, 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 I remember you hitting, you elbowed me in the face, but earlier in my career, I got, I think I took it in stride because I remember working on something in Vancouver and I got really heavily elbowed in the throat and knocked back over a table and that hurt. And the guy was, oh my God. he was high as a kite at the time. Um, 
Yeah, that's what I found out afterwards. So I think you you grazing me in the face with your elbow was yeah. Yeah, you were really good. Man, at, I gotta you, commend you, were, you. Yeah, I mean, because you were, you know, it, it feeds each other. People don't understand. Yeah, and I'm like, like let's, let's, let's yeah. not let's not you know make anyone listening think I got punched in the face. You grazed me with your elbow. Yeah. I think against yeah. my nose, ever so slightly. I did not. You did not Harrison Ford me or something like that. You were you're better. You're a better fighter than that. Oh, I appreciate that. It's yeah. funny, you know. Kyle told me I did a good job protecting the actors from what mm-hmm. was going on behind closed doors, and that was one of the craziest, absolute days of my life on set. So, just to contextualize for anybody listening. We were shooting the final fight scene of the movie. It happened to rain. And not just rain, but pour and sleet and hail. Yeah. It was about 40 degrees. Adam and I are in T-shirts, essentially. And yeah. our first AD, Josh, peeled his jacket off to be at a T-shirt with us, Solidarity. But earlier in that day, I had hurt myself with a gun accident. I. Their video village was sinking. Jordan, <laughs> you know, who was running the show with me, is in New York because his business was at stake over there. So he had to leave for five days. Our second AC was injured and in the hospital. So we're a person down on our camera crew. And oh, yeah, video village is sinking, right? Everybody heard that. It's $150,000 worth of equipment just getting inch by inch because it's torrential downpour the whole time and we got lucky in that way because it's the final fight scene of the movie and paying for range very expensive and we got it but But then we had but as i remember there was yeah but as i remember there was no it wasn't supposed to be like it wasn't supposed to be some ominous and then the storm clouds move in and starts raining that wasn't scripted it's just We suddenly yeah. had to incorporate it. So I remember everybody moving a lot of snow out of the way and then hoping it melted. Mm-hmm. And then you guys just saying, okay, yeah. it's the final fight scene. We'll write it into the script. The storm yeah. clouds come in and yeah. we have no choice. Yeah. 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 And so I remember, you know, in the shot makes the movie, thank God. But you put your face in the fucking frozen mud for that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that scene was awesome because Rick... You know, he was really, like, allowing me to pay attention to the father-son dynamic um, that was running Mm -hmm. underneath uh, our relationship. So I'll never forget that day, that's for sure. I'll just remember, like, Tori, one of our other producers, running to where we were, holding the phone, and it's Jordan on speakerphone and he's just like what the fuck's going on and i'm like i can't even i uh, what (laughs) i remember also we had spent we had spent hours choreographing the fight and then when we got to set realizing none of it was going to work because of the rain and suddenly it became too risky and and it just and it i think it kind of worked because it ended up just being this really raw brawl yeah. Very simple, yeah. well, raw brawl. Well, our stunt coordinator, I don't know if you knew this or recalled, but he got injured on like day one or two of Tahoe. 
And so we had to move oh, him shit. out of the main house and into his own hotel. He had pulled his back. And if you've ever done that, it's serious. Oh. And so oh. he couldn't, it has all divine timing. Because then it was left to me, you, Rick, Jordan, and Nick to figure out, like, how do we choreograph a fight scene? And so we were doing that. We worked on it. We worked on it because he wasn't there. And then he showed up that day when we needed him. And he put together a few pieces for us. And luckily, we were able to just pick it up and employ it right away. Um, But, like, if you recall, we were learning it in the barn next to that, like, Jet mm-hmm. fighter heater that shot yep. out literal flame. Um, yeah, because you we were in a logging cabin with no power. Like everything on the property yeah. had been hand built by the owner, and yeah. it was a crazy experience. But yeah, man, does it and show now it's out. Camera. And now it's out. And now it's out. And, yeah. and that's been a, a fun, exciting experience. Yeah, I hope you're proud yeah. of your uh, performance. I I'm, think. You're very proud of it. I'm very thank you. I'm very happy that everybody is getting to see what you do and what you're capable of and everything. Because I think it's you're just solid. You're just so solid. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm excited for people to see it. It's been interesting, you know. Yeah. I can I can tell because I'm doing press for it and stuff now, which is my first go around of doing media, you know doing interviews with strangers all across the country via zoom. And, uh, I'll be like, yeah, we made that for a hundred thousand dollars. And I can tell instantly if someone knows what they're doing or not, because can you believe we made that for a hundred grand? Most people cannot fathom that. And so even, you know, you can go make a movie for that. But you might not get everything. Yeah. You might not get the acting, yeah. but you got the cool action. Yeah. You might get the acting, yeah. but not the cool action, you know, or yeah. the light or well, the writing or and we're able to accomplish. And I will I also add to it. Yeah. I will also say a hundred thousand dollars where you put the cast and the crew up in nice lodging <laughs> and you gave them three squares a day that were nice and not just bags of Doritos and cans of pepsi or coke or something like that like it was it was a you made it work because you made it like i remember we would all get picked up and go over for dinner at the big house with everybody and it was just like a fun you know it was just a fun not a party necessarily but it was just a really fun gathering like a family and yeah. it, it it i i think that was a part of how you make something cheap work so well as you just kind of make it like mm-hmm. i said it was camp or like we're all going up into yeah. the hills to a repertory theater for the summertime and we're all there together and that was that was part of it is, you know, people were bringing thank stuff you, in and people were cooking and doing and all that, but it just became a big family. And I think you can, I think that that works in those environments where it's not like, well, you got to, you know, it has to be a million dollars and I get my trailer and my personal food and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I want, I want, you know, my goal as a producer director now is to incorporate both. I want that budget and I want it to feel yeah. like this because yeah. my honest assessment is you can feel the love come through in your movie. Mm-hmm. If what's going on on set is positive and warm and there's love, I don't mean it's jokey. You can still be deadly serious about your stuff, but the energy involved, 
the more I do this, the more movies I make, the more important it is because I see it show up in the final product. You like people have told me with uh, unsolicited, you guys had a good time making this movie. I can tell. And I'm like, whoa, you just watched it and you can feel that. So, cause I, here's my thing, Adam. I realize we spend so much more time making the picture than we do watching and celebrating it. And so let's refocus on the making of it and make sure we're, cause you know, what's funny is I'll, I'll pitch things that are not Hollywood standards. Like let's have a three day work week or four day work week. And people will be like, well, every producer with hundred percent of them have said, what about your rentals? And I'm like, uh, what about my artists? Like, what about that actually? And it's just interesting. And that's where I'm at. In this last movie I produced, we did two to four day work weeks. We did 12 hour days max, including lunch. And people might be like 12 hours. That's still a light day for most <laughs> crews actually. Yeah. So, and, and you know what? We made the movie and there are all these ancillary benefits I hadn't considered before because I, I'm not in the money-making business. I'm an artist trying to make the best story possible. Yeah. So I'm, a, I'm putting on those glasses for a second. When you're doing a five- or six-day run, which, you know, anybody who's been around a long time has probably done at some point where they work their out- stocking fields. is like that. You work five, six days hard. You have one or two days off. Well, I noticed you don't yeah. want to fucking look at your sides or your work because you're burnt out. But yeah. The benefit when you have time off is that the material soaks in relaxed and deeper. And all of a sudden you're getting fresh ideas and more succinct ways of approaching the material for the next week because you have the space to let it go and come back to it. And so I'm not saying it works for every picture, but yeah, that's how I'm operating because if uh, also my life's more important than a fucking movie. And if I do, even though movies are my church, like you referred to nature earlier, Mm -hmm. I take it that serious, but it's also, it's a ha-ha at the end of the day. So if I do my job right, which is to hire correctly as a producer or director, then I already know the talent portion, the result portion is probably going to be taken care of because I did my job. I hired... Nick Acosta, I heard Adam J. Harrington to act. So I already know it's going to be great. So I don't have to worry so much about the result. So what can I take care of? Well, it's the actual filming of it, which is going to be a year or two. And so um, that perspective has really freed me in a lot of ways, too. And that started on the stocking fields because I learned a lot of hard lessons on that one. Got it. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's all I got for today. We've been going okay. almost two hours, which is awesome. No, it was amazing. It was I easy. Appreciate your time. It was an easy two yeah, hours. Same, Sean. Time? Thank you. I did. I always have a great time with you. Oh, good man. Yeah. Thank you so much for. You're very welcome. Your continued support of me. You've always been a champion of me, and that doesn't go unnoticed or underappreciated. So I just wanted to say that here again. And I love anytime, you. anywhere. Love you, Sean. Anytime, anywhere. Anytime, anywhere, man. Right on. All right. Well, I'm going to stop the record. 
and then we'll say our goodbyes.